This episode of the Proper Mental Podcast is brought to you by Running Fundamentals, which is a new strength and mobility-based training program specifically for runners. It's from Movement Restored, and it's really good. And I know it's really good because Movement Restored is my business. That's what I do alongside Proper Mental. I help people to improve how their body moves and how it feels, and I help people to solve pain problems or to work on sports-specific movement or general injury rehab. And over the last few years of doing this, I've worked with hundreds of runners, maybe even more than a thousand, and I started to notice that most runners present with very similar problems in very similar places. And it doesn't really matter if you're running miles every day to train for an ultra, or if you're running socially at a park run once a week with your mates, you're using the same anatomy when you run as everybody else. And every runner has the same muscles and ligaments and tendons that are used when they run. And it's the repetitive nature of running that causes problems in these places. So Running Fundamentals brings the movements that I use to help with most running-related issues all into one place. And the focus is on building strength and increasing mobility, which will ultimately help you to spend more time injury-free, which in turn lets you spend more time in your running shoes. It's a one-time purchase and an instant download. And all the exercises have detailed instructional videos. You don't need any equipment and you can follow the exercises anywhere. There's also a guide to building your own program in a way that will complement any existing training and the program itself is suitable for all levels of ability, fitness and experience. All you need to do is go to www.movementrestored.co.uk slash programs and select Running Fundamentals. As it's a new product, it's currently available at a discount rate for a short time only and there's a link to that in the episode notes as well. Thank you very much for listening. Let's get back to this week's episode. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalizing open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. It's episode 126 and it's a very special episode. You're in for a real treat this week. It's an episode that I would say is one of my favourite all-time episodes that I've done. So that's quite a big statement, right? But my guest this week is Debbie Rogers and Debbie is the founder of Sean's Place, which is a safe place for men to get social support and therapeutic support in a non-clinical and non-judgmental setting. And Debbie started the service after losing her brother Sean in 2019 after he faced a long battle with his mental health. And Sean's Place offers a range of practical and proactive support that is free to access and includes things like therapy, hypnotherapy, medication support. There's also stuff like yoga, mindfulness, there's an angling club, they have drop-in socials and a whole host of different courses and activities. And I recorded this episode with Debbie in person. Um, We talk about actually in this episode how Merseyside has got just an incredible amount of mental health support. You know, I kind of feel like Merseyside is really leading the way with some of this stuff, with the approach and the variation. And my plan with this podcast is eventually to get around all of them. But I reached out to Debbie and kind of invited myself over to Sean's place to record an episode, really. But we got to do it in person. We got to do it in Sean's place. And I got a guided tour. I got to meet some of the staff. I got to meet some of the members and kind of just see the the day-to-day 
stuff that goes on there. Um, and it was incredible. I knew it was going to be incredible from when I pulled up outside in the car. The sign's on the main road. You know, the, the building is just in the middle of the local community, exactly where mental health support should be. And through walking through the door, I had the loveliest welcome. I met loads of lovely people. The lighting in there is great. The colours are great. It was just like, you just felt good and safe through walking in the door. And I think back to me four or five years ago when I was in crisis. I think if I'd have walked through the door of Sean's place, I would have felt really safe. You know, I would have felt like everything could be okay. And that really can't be underestimated, right? But I sat down with Debbie and we had a chat all about setting up the service and how they choose the different things that they do, which is all based on speaking to the members and giving men in the community exactly what it is that they need rather than telling them what they need. We chat about the sort of barriers that stop men attending those sessions and how to kind of get past that. We talk about things like asking for help and, and more the challenge of a charity, just letting people know that they're out there. Uh, we talk about Debbie's brother, Sean, and the story behind this wonderful space. And, you know, that's a really emotional part of the conversation. And it just really highlights how vital places like Sean's place are. It's a wonderful, wonderful episode. And Debbie and her team are doing wonderful, wonderful work. You know, I often feel like I sit behind a microphone and I post stuff on social media and I kind of have a, a good idea of what's going on. But, you know, people like Debbie and her team, they are on the front line of mental health support. You know, they're out there in the community, literally saving lives every day. And it's such a special, special thing. Um, I never ask anyone to share episodes. Actually, I always ask for reviews, but I don't ask you to share episodes. But I'd like you to share this one because I know a lot of people who listen to my show are based local to me. And I know a lot of them will either need something like Sean's Place or maybe they know someone who needs something like Sean's Place, even if you're not local. I think just knowing that somewhere like this is out there can be really, really comforting. This is an episode I think a lot of people would really get a lot from hearing. So yeah, spread the word, send it on to someone who you think could benefit from hearing about this. I think that's a really important thing to do. If in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes or so, you're wondering, why does Tom seem a little on edge? Does Tom sound a bit anxious when he's asking these questions? It's because just after I met Debbie, I had, a, um, I had my backpack on with all my recording stuff and some people were arriving and I tried to move myself out the way and I forgot how big my bag was. And I knocked an ornament off the size and it fell on the floor and broke. And if that wasn't bad enough in front of an audience, it turns out it wasn't just any old ornament. It was the Merseyside Women of Power Award that Debbie won for being an inspirational member of the community last year. So yeah, I just wanted to crawl into a hole, really. I almost just walked straight out and went home. And it took me a little while to settle after that. Debbie was amazing about it. We were laughing about it by the end. What a great start, right, to a, an in-person and very uh, in-depth and emotional conversation. Start it off by, yeah, smashing an award. Anyway, go and give Sean's Place a follower on social media, at Sean's Place UK. Go to the website, have a look at the timetable, check it all out. And if there's someone in your life that you think would benefit from knowing about Sean's Place or attending Sean's Place, let them know. Let them know it's out there. There's a couple of things you need to be aware about going on in the background. We recorded in person. There's a couple of clangs where one of us might kick a mic stand or something like that. Bit of background noise, but it all just adds to the conversation. It all just adds to the environment, in my opinion. If you've got two minutes to go and give this episode or any other episodes a review, it'd be really, really appreciated. Speaking of other episodes, I've spoke to a few people who have started charities, started support groups, started organisations. Go and have a listen to 
Kirsty Eaton from Reach Out for Mental Health. You could go and listen to the episode with Lee Pennington from The Open Door. Nikki Clark from My Black Dog. Joe Taylor from The Wave Project. I've had Gavin and Ben on from Talk Club. I've had the guys from Andy's Man Club on. I'm sure there's more that I'm doing a real disservice to. I should have planned that out a bit better before I started recording. Go and have a look in the back catalogue. Loads of charities, loads of support, loads of organisations. I always try and shine a light on that stuff. This is episode 126 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Debbie Rogers from Sean's Place. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. background and a bit of yeah. I found something I found when um you know when I was at kind of at my my most challenging points then is that I'd be looking for answers yeah. and go looking in podcasts and everything was so like polished and yeah. it was like it was like posh people people that I consider to be posh yeah and like in posh studios and yeah and I'd be like that's not me I can't yeah. relate to it I yeah. need to hear people who sound like me and who look like me and yeah you know, that's and that type of re- relatability, that's that's huge in mental health. Isn't yeah, it, absolutely. That, yeah, we say that here. It's, it's, they call it representation, don't they? But that's why we put so many photos on our social media and we get the lads involved with making videos and stuff because you need to be able to recognise yourself in that place for you to feel like, I, I, I will belong there, I'd be okay going there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it's a really, um, really important thing. Um, I mean, it kind of feels like we're already starting this already but um, yes. <laughs> I will say I like to start every episode by saying welcome to another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is Debbie Rogers how are you mate yeah fine thank you thank you so much for coming to Sean's place oh mate thank you for having me and that's really cool to say actually because um yeah it's worth mentioning we're in person and we are in in the space we are in Sean's place and it's a, a, a wonderful thing it's an incredible building it just keeps going I know it is like a TARDIS <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think when we took on the spilt and we were like oh my god it's so big how are we gonna fill it but like today you know every single room is full so um yes <laughs> we yeah. did it yeah there's it's a real um even just I mean I've only been here uh 10 minutes and like already there's loads of people have been coming in and there's like people around and stuff going on and it's just a lovely you can feel it when you come through the door you can feel how how nice it is here yeah Yeah. oh that's really nice we do get a lot of people saying that's like a vibe that you get you can't put your hand on it it's just like a feeling you get when you come through the door and that's exactly what we wanted we wanted to feel like somewhere where you think i'll I'll be okay here (laughs) yeah When, when you first like found the building um was it a case of you kind of did you even know what you were looking for? Like, did you walk in and be like, yes, this is it? Or Oh, it was really... We were, we've, we started in a dance studio. Um, so we were in this, like, dance hall. It had, like, ballet bars and, you know, mirrors and everything else. But we needed to pilot Sean's place to see if it was actually something that people would want to come to. Then we moved to a community centre. They would kindly give us their space. So we, but then we took over their space, and they were like, "Get out! <laughs> You're taking over our building." They were ama- they were amazing, though. They really did help. Then we moved to a small building on the front of Bootle Strand because we were like, we've, "We're going to close if we don't get somewhere." So we took on this building, thinking, "This is great. We've got our own premises." But again, we were like packed sardines because the demand for the service was increasing every single week. Wow. So we wrote to the local council and we were like, we really need your support with this. We've got so many guys coming to us, you know, we're proving that we can make a difference and we can help, but we don't have anywhere to run it from. And initially they were like, 
we don't have anywhere sorry no room at the inn but I live locally so I was like a woman possessed like in my car every weekend with my notepad driving around the local area making notes of all the empty buildings speaking to the community and we went back to them with a list of all the empty buildings how long they've been empty <laughs> for why weren't they using them and I think to shut me up they were like oh, just give that woman a building yeah. <laughs> and they did you know they, they, they give us this it's a peppercorn rent so we don't really need to pay any rent but we are responsible for everything so to go from my experience before running Sean's place to being in control of a building like this was very daunting um but as i said before when we come in we were like this is so big you know will we fill it is it too big if we took on too much but now you know we've been over here just over 12 months every room has a purpose you know we fill it every single day so i think this feels like home for us now yeah yeah it's a wonderful thing i was just kind of i don't know for the stars to line in such a lovely way and find the building and then it's obviously the right one because it's full and you know it's like really nice that's it and we actually signed the lease for this on my brother's birthday as well so i feel like all along the stars have always aligned but that felt super special yeah (laughs) it's a beautiful coincidence yeah yeah how lovely and how do you when like i always like to ask this question when people do something that has so many different moving parts and so many different like stuff behind it is like when you meet someone new and they say oh so what do you do debbie like how do you describe it how do you like sum up <laughs> you know this is sean's place what's what 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 is this place yeah i suppose like in a nutshell we just provide a safe space for men to come and get some support to live a happier ha- you know quality of life i suppose um we you know my brother would have really really benefited from coming here we have it's it's not a one-size-fits-all we've you know we've said that before that um i suppose with some services everybody needs to fit inside certain boxes to be able to attend there and here because we do so much there's something for everybody here like we open till eight o'clock at night five nights a week so we can support men who are in employment so it's like usual nine to five support for example and we have two strands of what we do primarily we've got the therapeutic side so we offer things like counseling and we run a bereavement group we do hypnotherapy and um cbt but then we've got an amazing social side of what we do where we do angling you know yoga and mindfulness fitness classes um and we do socials as well so tonight we're open till eight o'clock tonight and we'll have like 25 lads in having a game of pool a cup of tea you know we have the music on so there's a real nice vibe of a friday night and i feel like that's what a lot of people are missing it, it's that reason for going out the house and connecting with other people where it's not necessarily the poor board of football game it's just something else but that's something else isn't always there for people so we provide a here now <laughs> yeah it's really missing isn't it like for men in particular i think it seems to be that as men like get older and journey through life so many of the things that we know are really good for people naturally fall away mm-hmm. and if you don't want to go to the pub for instance and if you don't if you're not much of a football fan particularly like in this this part of the world yeah. um it doesn't leave much does it and yeah. you can see why people get lonely and you can see why people yeah. get isolated and i think that's in you know we do have this stigma that men don't talk and we hear it all the time and to some extent that that could be true but i believe it's just that they don't always have the places to go to talk if it's not the football match or if it's not the pub and you know some people don't have those friends where they can go and have a game of golf with so we need to create those places where they can build friendships and you know relationships and connections with people and it is something as simple as opening the door putting on a few cups of tea and a game of pool and it happens organically yeah it's that 
that whole thing about men talking and not talking that fascinates me because you kind of like you create the right space for a group of men and you yeah. can't shut them up like th this whole strong and silent thing is yeah. it's it's true in some instances isn't it but it is so much about having that like having someone to talk to I, yeah. I used to see those messages all the time it's like make sure you talk about it I was like, to who you know yes. who am I supposed to talk about can they listen do they understand you yeah know, like and that's so important as well because I think we that sense of implied that you know you're doing something wrong you're not talking about this and that's why you feel the way that you're feeling and it's like that's so not true like in we, we've run several programs here that in, encourages that safe space to open up and to talk and you're right we can't shut them up it's it's incredible and it's so powerful and that you know just hearing that there's somebody else who may be feeling how you're feeling or they've had you know a similar experience to you it can just lift the weight of the world off your shoulders something so so simple but we can't be keep telling people they need to talk if we're not giving them people to actually talk to yeah yeah like listening is a bigger part of that as yeah. well isn't it and to have like both sides that really stood out when you were like talking about your different services here as having the therapeutic sides and the like community sides because so many things that are really like really useful tools they're not that useful in isolation are they like therapy 100%. itself is is great but therapy if you're lonely can be really challenging because you kind of you open this sort of this box and then then what do you do with everything that's spilling out of it right exactly and you, you know i suppose some therapies can it can be like putting a plaster on something if the root cause of the issue and if that could be loneliness is still there at the end of an eight-week session of therapy you know what what difference have we made to that person's life so here we'll give them the spaces where they can make friends and start to feel confident and you know have things to, or eat. some people have have people at home they can talk to or you know they have a wife or they have you know friends around them but they're not the people that they want to talk to necessarily so by coming here you know we've got guys who will do courses or they'll like we've got a, a guy in there at the moment he's 76 standing on his head we've taught him how to do a headstand <laughs> <laughs> so when he goes home tonight he can talk to his partner about you know the fact he's done a headstand today and it's all about creating them you know their moments and then you know where they can talk positively about the day and get excited about things again and you know they've got things that they can actually talk about Whereas if you are only giving someone eight weeks of counselling, really, you know, what quality of life is, is that doing for them if their root cause of their issue is something like loneliness and isolation? Yeah, yeah. I suppose a lot of the point of therapy, right, is to make the subconscious conscious. Yeah. Um, a lot of people might not even know that they're lonely. Talk it through with a therapist, become very aware that they're lonely, and then you're yeah. aware of it, and it's worse because now yeah. you're you're fronting up to the fact do you know what I mean like it kind of yeah, yeah there needs to be a well that's exactly why we built Sean's place I wanted to fill that gap that that bit in the middle that was missing in my brother's life um, he had a lot a lot of therapy he also had a lot of medication but actually what he needed was people around him friendships and positive friendships and relationships but also to feel good about himself again remember that you know he's got skills he, he's, he's a great person you know he's got a great personality but to have the chance to to explore that a bit more and there was nowhere for him to go and that's why we built Sean's place it was to to capture that bit in the middle that was missing from so many people's lives and now you know three years after Sean died Sean's places are over 150 to 170 men every week come through the door so we know that that you know it wasn't just Sean feeling that way we've got so many men out there that need that bit in the middle that is quite often missing yeah how do, how do you go about like identifying 
what to do here. So like we can talk about loneliness and community, but then we've got yeah. to drill down, right? And say, right, how do we provide that with the classes and the groups and stuff? We speak to the guys. As the guys don't stop talking here, which is amazing. And they are very honest and they will tell us the things that are impacting them. So everything that we run at Sean's Place is completely you know, through their ideas and them telling us what, what they want and what they need. Um, so, for example, on our referrals from February, so it was only last month, the highest number of people who were coming through our door were having problems with relationships or with family. So our next programme will be focused around managing conflict, healthy relationships, you know, how to respond um, to somebody and understanding your role as well within that relationship um, and others' roles as well. And that is literally just being, you know, created on the back of what people were telling us was important to them so I think it's so important that we don't dictate to people what they need and what is good for them because what is great for you might not be right for me um so we, we speak to the guys and we get their feedback and then we create a program from it mate that's such a wonderful thing isn't it so much like you know I don't know wellness stuff I don't really like that term but um is is like a bit like tokenistic and throwaway isn't it and a lot of yeah. everyone's like promoting the same stuff but to actually ask people who aren't doing so good like what do you need yeah. and that's it's just identifying the gaps as well so we run a bereavement group here specifically for men um and we work in collaboration with love jasmine which is a um bereavement support group in liverpool because they we, we wanted to run a bereavement group, but we're not the experts in that. I've got lived experience in losing somebody, but I wouldn't know how to support somebody really in that situation. And they do. So we were like, you know, can we take some advice from you? Would you potentially collaborate with us? And they were delighted because they said, we just can't engage men. We have so many mums and nans who come to us because they've lost a child or a grandchild. Um, that's what they specialise in. But we just don't get the dads or the granddads coming to us. So we were like, well, we don't have an issue engaging men here, so why don't you come to us with your expertise and we'll get the guys to come through the door. And we do. So now we run a men's bereavement group. We have about 10 guys every single time we run the programme in the room. And it just it's making such a difference to their lives. But them guys usually wouldn't go to what's already available at the moment. So we do need to think outside the box a little bit more and stop doing what we've always done because it isn't necessarily working for those people and just fill the gaps a little bit more. Yeah, that um, like collaboration, like that's yeah. so important important with this stuff isn't oh, it massively like, it was so much better when we worked together because everybody's got their own little pockets of experience and if we can bring all of that together you know it, it's crucial especially for the people who are in the middle of all of this you know it's not i suppose money is so important to organizations and that's why people tend not to collaborate as much because they're fearful that they may lose funding or it'll cost too much money but the 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 benefits of collaborating, you know, they far outweigh that. And we've proven that with our partnerships here. We're so, so lucky to have amazing people in Liverpool. Like, we want to tap into that. And we're like, let's work together. Let's do a project together. And when we do, it's magic. Yeah, well, I, mean, I kind of mentioned it before, and I've said it on this podcast, like, so many times. But this part of the world, you know, both sides of the water seem particularly blessed in, like, different organisations for mental health support. There really is, like something for everyone mm -hmm. but what seems particularly special about it to me is seeing how there's almost like a, a community within the community of all the people who like run all these different services there's a real like uh, like shared passion and mindset and friendship as well between all yeah. the different all different organizations right yeah absolutely like I think from starting Sean's Place, I, I knew nothing about running an organization like this my background was working in schools um 
I wanted to always do that because I got six weeks off in the summer. <laughs> Don't get that anymore. So I really, really needed those friendships and those role models and mentors to help me to do this because I was going to do it. I just needed some people in my corner really to help me. And I was so, so lucky that there was incredible people who ran existing organisations that reached out and were like, look, we'll help you. You know, what do you need? Do you need to listen to Nia? Do you need some guidance? Do you need advice? Do you need us to be on your board? And and they did. They jumped up. You know, they, they come on board with the idea of Sean's place. And I think to, I credit them a lot to the success of where we are now. I don't think I could have got this far on my own. Oh, mate. It's a lovely, uh, a lovely thing. It always fills me with... Like lots of um, like a lot of comfort knowing that mm. places like this and like all those organisations exist. You know, just yeah. slap bang in the middle of the uh, in, of the local community, looking after local people when they need it most. And yeah. I, I think that that is it's great that mental health awareness is you know is spreading. And but the more that conversation grows, the more sort of problematic it kind of becomes. And I think the way society works and as a culture we really like celebrate quite I don't know I'm trying to think of the words without sounding too cynical mm-hmm. right like sometimes maybe someone famous has got a book out and maybe as part of the prep for that book they'll talk about a certain experience they had and of course everyone's experience is relevant right mm-hmm. but then we just all go berserk as a society and everyone's like sharing it and it's going viral and everyone's talking it's great and then two days later it's dead and mm-hmm. it's not mentioned and I always think like why can, couldn't we like wouldn't it be more beneficial to the mental health conversation instead of celebrating that in the way that we do let's make sean's place go viral let's make the hub of hope go viral what if the same three million people shared that tweet rather than that tweet you know it's like it's a but it's for me i just think it's so special to be uh, like on the ground like i say in the community like really um it's just a it's a wonderful thing yeah, and there is like so much out there now compared to where there was three years ago. We are so, so lucky to have amazing organisations, but we've just got to tell people about them. Like we've, um, I sit on a suicide prevention board and I remember for the first two months, I just wanted to, to shout as loud as I could, you know, and what are we doing about this? You know, these are the figures that, you know, you're telling us, you know, all these people have died by suicide what are we doing about it you know are we just having monthly meetings and having a nice chat over a cup of tea you know where's the action from this so um i said we need to make it easy for people to find support i was that person desperately trying to find support for my brother and there was nothing other than a, a gym membership which he would never have used and i remember feeling so helpless and so alone and so frustrated with the world thinking is this the best that we can do for somebody so I spoke to two guys of public health who were amazing, public health Sefton, and um, they supported the idea of having this really normal campaign around finding help. So it's about to go live actually in a couple of weeks. Um, so it's called Sefton in Mind. It's a directory, a bit like the Hub of Hope, but focused just for Sefton and around Sefton area which is where obviously Sean's place sits you will see stickers in your hairdressers and your barbers as dad the bus stations will have taxis driving around with it on so that we're actually going to where people are mm-hmm. there's so many times I go to these fancy events where we're meant to be speaking to the public and we're sat in you know a town hall somewhere or some fancy hotel where nobody's actually going to be the average member of the public is not going to go to those places so we need to be going out to them and going to the places where they're going to be and telling them about the help that's available should they ever need it or should the friend or the family member need it so thanks like the support of public Health for 
putting up with me and my rants <laughs> we're now making that happen but I think it does take for you to shout really loudly and to say you know this isn't good enough you know just because we've ticked our box in one area does not mean that we're speaking to the people we need to be speaking to um and it is a lot of the time about just thinking outside the box and being creative and looking where the gaps are and speaking to actual human beings as well. You know, we can all sit around these fancy board tables and come up with a plan, but how many times do we actually speak to the people that, you know, who, who are struggling with their mental health? And thankfully, at Sean's Place, we do that a lot, which is probably why we're able to have these conversations about, you know, where the gaps are and what we need to be doing more of. Yeah. I was, I was thinking, like, in prep for this, I was thinking, like, some some of the the barriers that people we need to overcome to get people to come along and yeah one of them is like letting people know that mm. it's here and the other one is getting people through the door right yeah that's I think that's the hardest thing and I'm saying that right as someone is like last year I started a man's group um, in the Wirral and I ran it for six months and I turned up every Wednesday night for six months more often than not I was on my own yeah and, you know the people to, and I there was a lot of uh, noise on social media people say oh this is great this is just what I need I'm definitely going to come I'm definitely going to mm. come and then no one no one did basically and then as soon as I stopped it because I couldn't just keep going I didn't really know what to do and as soon as I stopped it then I was bombarded going oh I was going to come next week you know and I, once on my Instagram story I did like a thing of saying like why why aren't you coming if you want to come and you're not coming why not let's see if we can find out you know maybe I can put your mind at rest and the different reasons for people not coming were so varied it was almost like you know it was literally someone would say um i don't want to show up and be the only person yeah and i'd say well there's a good chance you will be <laughs> and uh, but then someone else would say i don't want to turn up and there's loads of people there you yeah. know and it's it's it's, it's so hard, isn't it, to get people through the door? It's really challenging. And, you know, when Sean's Place first started, for the first three months, definitely we had weeks where nobody would turn up. And we actually had one of our guys who would come all the way from Skemsdale to the session just because he didn't want me to be on my own. <laughs> he said, he said I, I thought I best not come because I don't want you to be sat here on your own. And, you know, that was so kind of him. But it did take a long time for us to be able to build that trust with the community. And almost like you've got to build a brand for people to be able to trust her. Um, but also to, you know, representation. So we do a lot of pictures and videos and social media. And we've got loads of images on our website where guys can look at it and go, oh, okay, you know, they look okay. They look about my age. They look, you know, pretty much, you know, like I do. Um, I'll give it a go. And we found that that to be really helpful. But then we've had guys who tell us that they've drove around the block three times before coming in or, you know, they've tried for four weeks to get through the door and every time they get to the gate, they walk away. Mm. And on week four, that'll be the week they've decided I'm going to do it. You know, I think just doing it isn't as easy as it sounds. And we do just need to be patient with people. And, you know, once they come once and they realise it's nowhere near as bad as they thought it was going to be, they will come back then. Um, But these things do take time, especially for men. You know, it's... I don't know many men's organisations, solely men's organisations, that get a large number of men going through the door. I think with us and, you know, places like James's place, it takes time, but also trust is, is everything. They have to trust that you're not going to let them down when you get there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, actually, like people driving around the block and stuff like that. Like, I totally get it. I understand mm. that. Like, yeah. I can kind of, I can see it, um, yeah. you know, like... I- 
I, I before I do anything, I kind of like I'm on the website, I'm on the social media, I'm like, yeah. do you know what I mean? I'm so far in the research yeah. before I walk in the door. Oh, listen, anything. I've had a gym membership since January, and I'm still yet to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for me, there's that fear of going into the group. What if they laugh at me? Mm. What if I can't keep up? What if I pass out? <laughs> you know, all of these things in my head are really c- catastrophizing, make it, you know, the worst case scenario. And um, so I completely understand how hard it is. It must be harder for someone to come here than it is for me to go to the gym. But I know if I, if I feel that way of course they're going to feel that way so we have to get it right when they come through the door which is why we need the right people in the right jobs for example so when you came in today you've been off to a cup of tea our lovely Sam and George were like nice and friendly when you met them and stuff and that is the ultimate welcome that we want we wouldn't accept anything less than that for people because you know if if you come in you've got like a snotty receptionist or that worse there's no one there to greet you you're just going to walk away and you may not engage again then she'll think oh well I tried and it was rubbish so I'm not going to go back so you've got to get that first meeting right with them yeah it's so important isn't it are you are are they volunteers the people that work there how does it work yeah so we used to be completely volunteer led but this year we were able to take on four members of staff which has helped us massively grow our capacity so we've only got we do a lot with very little (laughs) so there's four of us in the team who are paid staff and then we've got about 25 volunteers who are lifesavers they are incredible um most of them work full-time jobs like tonight for example we have um, a guy and a girl who both work full-time jobs and give up every friday night to run our drop-in on a friday night um until eight o'clock so they're absolutely on the knees and knackered but it's so important to them that you know that they get involved with something like this and they don't ask for anything from us at all they're amazing um and that's right across the board we've got volunteers that have been with us since i was going to say since the day we opened but it's before that it's since they found out that sean's place was an idea and they said let us help you know we, we want to help and they volunteered with us since then and they're still with us now three years later um they really are incredible and we couldn't do this without them yeah that's a, such a wonderful thing isn't it yeah <laughs> i think as well that really adds to the um the atmosphere and the vibe because if people are here that you know that don't have to be they're here because they want to be and yeah. they want to help but that just creates the momentum behind the the atmosphere and the kindness and everything that comes with it yeah absolutely and it's just making sure that like because for us it's not so much about people's qualifications or their experience it's do they have a nice smile have they got a warm heart because that's what people need quite often it's that somebody who you know is going to make them a cup of tea and make them feel welcome you know you could have a phd and whatever and you could still be a really you know unapproachable person so that wouldn't be the right person to have here so whenever we interview or you know we take on anyone to be in our team we always always go off their personality you know do they have a great smile are are they you know can can they hold a conversation and can they make a decent cuphead as well i can't so it's very important that everyone else can (laughs) i made the worst cup of tea ever so if it was down to me everyone nobody would come here they'd all be gone (laughs) i've got to ask what's so um, bad about your brews there but uh... it's because i don't drink it i only Ah. make a cup of tea to dip my biscuit in and then a bin it so i don't actually know what a decent cup of tea tastes like so um we've had guys who i've accepted after a cup of tea and then I've watched them tip it out afterwards and then go oh lovely that was really nice <laughs> <laughs> oh mate um how do people find do, do people get referred here do people you know like what's the how do people end up coming through the through the door usually um, the majority of people self-refer so we we do have referral forms and that's just so we can make sure we tailor the support to their needs really because it obviously everyone's circumstances are different um so the majority of people do self-refer to us and they might find out about us on social media or the doctor might tell them about it or a friend 
quite quite often we have people come here and then they'll tell the friends about it and then the friends will make a referral or the brother or even the dad we've had three generations here at one time before um which is amazing you know we we love that um but then we do get referrals from a lot of the um sort of healthcare providers like you know a and e your doctors um the citizens advice bureau places like that but that's again that's great because that means that people aren't walking away Mm empty-handed like they potentially used to be they're walking away and even if a and e is in the right place for them which quite often it isn't at least you know that they've got somewhere else that they can go afterwards yeah that that not not feeling like you've got options is the you know that's when stuff starts getting really scary when you get when you get to a point because there's you know for me there was always kind of like a part of me believed that I'd find a solution to my problem and when it was looking more and more like I wasn't going to do that that's the that's when that hope really disappears isn't it yeah and things like the hub of hope are invaluable like I sadly only found out about the hub of hope two weeks after my brother died Um, a friend had come round and she said oh I was on this training course a couple of weeks ago and I was meant to tell you about this app and at the time I was grieving I kicked it out the house and I was like how come you didn't tell me you know you have to tell people about these things so now we're still friends by the way <laughs> um but I tell everybody about that app because it gives people options because Sean's place might not be right for them it might not be the place that they want to go to but you know Andy's man club which meets on a Monday night might be more suitable for what for, for what they're looking for so all having options for people is it's incredibly important and even though obviously we run Sean's place it, when you come in you'll see a list of resources available in the community because we have guys who will come here on you know a Thursday afternoon and then they'll go to Andy's Man Club on a Monday and then they'll go somewhere else on a Wednesday and it's creating you know a bit of a community for them and what suits their needs yeah it really normalizes it as well yeah exactly like I think that's you know we talk about people finding it difficult to come in but the it's so much easier when it's just normalised to just be like, you know, what, what are you doing Wednesday? Oh, I'm just off to Sean's place. You know, yeah. like, it, it's not a mental health thing almost. Yeah. It's a just a, th- a thing that someone does. They call it the club. So tonight, we, we'll have about 25 fellas in tonight. The oldest will probably be about 70 odds, and our youngest is about 19. And um, so you've got completely different age ranges. But the we find the guys who are about 50, 60 are still of that sort of mentality that they've always had where it's like, you know, they might have family members that don't believe that mental health exists, mm. which is really challenging for, for those people that are struggling because who do they have to talk about if everyone be- around them believes that it doesn't exist? So when they come here, they might have, like, the friend or the, the wife phone them and they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just at the club. <laughs> and they call it the club and I love it because it does normalise it. You know, it is a club. It, it, it's a social club on a Friday night where you can come and be yourself you can talk about politics if you want to, or you can talk about mental health, whatever it is that, you know, it comes up that evening. Um, but then you've got the social elements of it as well, where, you know, you've got endless cups of tea, you've got a pool table, we've got a dartboard and everything. And it's given people that reason to get out of the house. I think weekends can be incredibly tough, especially if you know that, you know, the world is still awake after six o'clock and, you know, you've got all the nightlife in Liverpool and, mm. you know, you've got all kinds of things going on around the city, but you're not a part of that. I think it can be incredibly isolating. So to know that you've been out on a Friday night, whether it's to some nightclub in town or to Sean's place, at least you still feel that you're part of what's happening in the community. Yeah, a lot of times at the weekend, it kind of, the weekend takes you out of your routine and your routine is 
distracting you from your thoughts, right? So then yeah. it comes to the weekend and you haven't got work. You can't be busy. Yeah. You know, maybe like if you shared custody of your kids, you haven't got your kids and like that's, it's a, it's a hard time. Isn't yeah. It? Well, yeah. we open up every week, we open on a Sunday evening and, and our angling club goes out on a Sunday. And that, again, it is for that reason because a lot of people, the, the weekends can be incredibly long for them. Um, but we also open till eight o'clock at night for those who were in employment because so a lot of the guys that we were seeing were people who would usually be in work. They don't have the time to go and contact the GP or they were worried about losing money from work if they mm. contacted the, you know, if they started to get support. So we knew that we had to support that cohort of people. And 40% of the people who come here are actually in employment, which I think is quite high. Um, so you know, it's important that we look at everybody's individual needs, the times that they may struggle the most and not just be a standard nine to five organisation. Yeah, there's always patterns, isn't there? When you speak to a lot of people about this stuff, like everyone's different. And, you know, I, I, the way I like to say it is that we all like break in different ways, but it's often yeah. the same stuff that comes out when we do. Yeah. And there, there are these patterns, these themes that just flow mm. through. And it doesn't matter how old you are, where you're from, you know, what your experience has been. Like once we get to those core emotions and thoughts and feelings, there's, mm. there's always similarities. Eh? It's yeah. Always similarities. And it's things like we hear all the time, how people are sick of waking up and every day they feel the same. It's like every day feels like Groundhog Day. That the very, very common things that we hear and the minute someone says something like that everybody's in agreement with them because mm. I think I should use like a saying in one of the groups here that we're all we're all in the same ocean but different boats yeah. um, and it's so true you know everybody's experiences are so individual to them and so personal but ultimately the feelings are very often very common yeah it's um i did an episode recently with um professor rory o'connor who's yeah. like a suicide researcher right yeah. and something that we talked about was um like the everydayness that's how he summed it up mm. and i loved that he said because yeah. yes sometimes there are these big things that happen um but for a lot of people there's not a big thing it's a series of yeah. small things and that feeling of waking up in the morning i remember you know when i was kind of at my lowest point i was like around 40 and i used to think to myself i'm about halfway through and the idea of doing this again, I yeah. can't fake. That was the biggest weight yeah. that I felt. I was like 40 fucking years. It was like a life sentence, you yeah, know? And it absolutely. is that that everyday mm. grind of not having somewhere to go on a Friday night. Yeah. Of, you know, of not being able to go and go like part of an angling club or to try yeah. yoga or to just yeah. talk to fucking someone else yeah. who knows what that feels like. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine that, that that must be so difficult for people. And I think that, that seems to be the... the the people who struggle the most come into Sean's place, it's usually because they haven't had that one, you know, life-changing event that's happened to them, or they might not have had, like, a, a traumatic childhood in their life. They really just struggle to understand why they feel the way they feel, and sometimes they feel guilty feeling the way that they feel, especially if they've got, you know, seemingly a picture-perfect life. Like, we used to have one guy here, um, he went on to be one of our mentors, actually, and he had a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, really successful career, and when he came, he was like, I don't know why I feel the way that I am. And we were like, you don't have to, you know, that's our job <laughs> to, to understand <laughs> yeah. that. You just need to know that you're not doing okay and get yourself through the door, which you've done. Um, but we run a family support group here as well. So we support um, anybody that looks after anybody who's struggling with the mental health. So that can be a sister and a mom, a girlfriend, a best friend, you know, anyone that, that is taking care of somebody else. And in that, we find that there's so much guilt from the families that they just feel like, I've given them everything. They've had a wonderful life. I, I couldn't have done more for them. You know, where did it go wrong? And it's trying to reassure them that quite often, you know, it's not anything that you've done. It's just how they feel. And it, it can be really, really difficult for the families. 
to the family support group we have at the moment um all of them in this cohort are all supporting the sons and all of them have felt helpless they don't know where to turn they're scared to say the wrong thing to them so they won't bring up the conversation with them mm. about mental illness or suicide you know they, they wouldn't dream of asking their, their son if they were having thoughts of suicide because they're terrified of not knowing what to say or how to respond to them so we give them like a four week so it's a group where they can just air you know that their circumstances and their, their you know what how it's impacting them which is so powerful and so reassuring for them all to know that you know they're not on their own basically but then we also provide suicide prevention training to them so by the end of it they should feel confident that they can have that conversation at home and not be so scared anymore about what they're going to tell them you know and also to be better listeners as you know loved ones we are rubbish at listening because we want to fix somebody and it's not that we don't care we only know what we know i was exactly the same with my brother you ultimately want to fix that person and make it right for them and stop them from feeling how they feel. Feel, But quite often, all they need is for someone to listen to them and that's why people end up in therapy. So we help them and guide them in how to be better listeners, really. Um, and it's so powerful. It's so needed. We need to have more family support in our communities. Yeah, it's a it's such a missing part of the mental health conversation isn't it it's it's the people around the individual who's who's having a hard time i mean i've probably every other episode i say this but you know my most popular episode by a mile is one i did with my wife and we did my story through her side of it yeah um and there's stuff came up there that i didn't know you know i didn't know that she was thinking and and Mm. stuff like that and that's the one we've had the most um emails and messages and because there were so many people that just had been in that situation of um that helplessness of not knowing what to do or what to say that's like that's so important that those people are kind of have some way to go and to learn and to um you know it's cheesy isn't it but knowledge is power in that type of situation yeah and they want to as well you know i I, it was so important to me when i built sean's place that we had that because i was that person i felt like i was just trying everything you know i was speaking to all the professionals i was phoning the right numbers but no one was listening to me i knew my brother was you know, suicidal. I knew that he was very, very unwell, but he did, just didn't fit inside any box. And, you know, he was deemed to have capacity and, you know, all of this, these barriers that were pre- preventing him from getting help. And I just felt like I was so on my own and so helpless at that. I, I knew that I wasn't the only person out there that was feeling that way. So when we opened Children's Place, I was like, we need to help the, the helpers, I suppose. We need to help the loved ones and the fr- friends and the family um, so that they don't feel isolated anymore. Because some of the guys, some of the families who come, their loved ones might not not want to access support. They might not be at a stage where they're ready to do that mm. or think that they need it. And that can be incredibly difficult as well, especially if you know that your loved one needs help, but that the, they won't do anything about it. It's like, what do you do about that? So by empowering them to say, okay, well, there's something you can still do at home. This is how you can have the conversation. This is how you can respond to them. This is how you can open up the conversation. It's just been, you know, life-changing for them, really, in their relationships. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Mm. It's huge, yeah. No, that's um, that's a really special thing, mate. Yeah, mm. really, really special thing. Um, You know, speaking of um, of Sean there, Debbie, mm. Um, how... How did his sort of mental health problems start? Was that like a, a long thing that he that he enjoyed? Yeah, we, we had um, a bit of a difficult childhood when we were younger and um, Sean did seek help for how he was feeling about that when he was about probably about 17, 18. He went to the doctors and they diagnosed him quite early on with like anxiety and depression. Um, in his early 20s, he started on medication 
and it just spiraled from there really um he he did start to live a pretty normal life you know he was getting into volunteering and he had friendships but they weren't necessarily healthy friendships but then he went to live on his own um so he was a young single man living alone with depression and all he had at his fingertips was a box of medication basically um he was in and out of therapy a lot but then my concern always was you know he's going to things like trauma therapy and then going back to his flat on his own with all of them distressing thoughts that had just come up in the therapy session he didn't tell anyone he was going to these sessions or what days they were on so we couldn't even check in with him to see if he was okay i wouldn't have even thought to do that at the time really because it wasn't in the mental health field then um and I just think all of that, even though it was designed to help him, it wasn't necessarily helping him. I feel like it was potentially making it worse for him because his situation was still the same. He was still isolated. He didn't have any positive friendships and he was living alone with depression. Um, so we tried to find him things in the community he could do. But again, you know, there wasn't anything at the time apart from volunteering, which he did try. Um, and his best friends were my children I've got three children and he adored them he used to come and mind them for me when I was in work which gave him a purpose he would come down and you know he'd spend the day playing games and watching telly and everything else with them he was amazing but my fear always was what happens when my children get to school age and they don't need minding anymore and they're in school all day I'm in work all day and Sean goes back to being isolated on his own and that is when his mental health spiral then um he ended up with psychosis so he started to hear voices and he'd just become tortured by them he the, the voices were getting louder his almost like his paranoia was get was getting louder as well he didn't know who he could trust anymore what he didn't know what was real and i think that there was no downtime from that it wasn't like he could go home and go to sleep and you know the voices would stop this was happening 24 hours a day for him and recognizing all of that i was reaching out to the professionals that like you know you're taking care of him but he's not getting better he's getting worse what are you doing what medication is he on you know what support have you offered him why is he getting worse instead of better if he's under your care because he was under the care of the community mental health team um and the only things that they could do at the time was change his medication change the dose of his medication change the therapy he was having there was nothing else apart from that um and i just felt so helpless all i could do was watch my brother unravel really and then it come to a head in 2019 when i knew he was he was so bad he was just tortured constantly bless him it was it was horrendous to watch but i didn't know where else i could go i was just i was talking to the right people but just get, kept getting doors closed um so then he he become particularly bad and this one night I'd phoned him I phoned everyone who we knew and it was like please just phone Sean I feel like he just needs to hear from us all that we love him and that we're here for him and I had you know people saying oh you know I'm, I'm busy I'll phone him tomorrow I was like no I need you to phone mm-hmm. him tonight I need you to phone him tonight and tell him that you love him and then I'd phone the hospital to say I'm scared about my brother I feel like he's gonna hurt himself because he doesn't know what's real. He's saying things really out of the ordinary. I really, really need some help. And it was this really poxy response from the girl on the phone. It was like, oh, you know, we were seen on Wednesday and he was fine. He's got our number. He knows the phone is if he needs us. He's got capacity, so there's nothing we can do. But no capacity assessment was ever taken. They were just going off his tone of voice on the phone. So that night I went to bed and thought, I just feel like I'm just waiting for them to die now. That, that's it. I'm just waiting for that phone call. It was literally the next morning, I jumped up really early, tried to phone him, and I couldn't get through. And as I was getting dressed, I think I just I just knew that that was, 
that, yeah. that was it. So I drove to his flat and um, yeah, he, he took his own life. And I knew it wasn't like it was a shock, it wasn't a surprise. I feel like I knew it was going to happen, but no one was listening really. Yeah. It was really, really hard. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you think you think it, you know, you think you get through stuff like this and you do, but the frustration doesn't leave you. Yeah. And I think all of that frustration, all of that anger, all of that hurt, that's exactly why we opened Sean's place. Yeah, the like the driver for it, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I yeah, appreciate thank you. it. And I you know, I hope I haven't come over here today to kind of upset you. <laughs> No, I, lo- I love talking about my brother and his story. It's that fire in your belly to do something different and something better. And I think at the time that we weren't doing better, we were we were failing people. And to some respects, the system still is failing people because it's we're still doing what we've always done. And it takes community groups like Sean's Place and you know Andy's Man Club, the Mountain Galley Project, the Open Door Charity, all of these amazing organisations to to fill the gaps. And we are filling the gaps, thankfully, but, you know, there's so many people on the planet that are going to be impacted by mental health with, you know, COVID, the cost of living crisis, that we're just going to, this isn't going away. So we do need to be thinking outside the box. We need to be speaking to people about, you know, what's impacting them, what's important to them. And, you know, we we need to be able to support them when they need it, not just, you know, giving them a box of medication and sticking a plaster on things, yeah. giving them actual, tangible support and purpose and excitement about life again and memories and special moments yeah. you know that that that's all people want they want those positive sort of experiences that they can write home about and tell people about and a lot of people are missing that in their lives now yeah yeah definitely it's that it's just such a big gap between it's almost like the the traditional route um you know the medical route have certain things available mm. to that route and that's it like I was you know I work in um, like more in physical health I work a lot in uh, rehab and pain management and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and a lot of people go to the doctor and it's the same thing they get a painkiller they get referred to physio for five sessions and then that's it and then they end up coming through my door and I always Mm -hmm. say to them your doctor can only refer what they've got available to them and if that isn't applicable they're going to do it anyway because that's all they've got and it's not the thing and it's the same in the mental health space isn't it yeah absolutely we're we're very fortunate we've we've started to work in partnership with Mersicare which it feels like a huge blessing because if this is what I wanted for my brother it was to have those options available to him so Mersicare have commissioned us for three years um, and we are now working in partnership with them so that the professionals don't feel so helpless anymore they they know of places available they can signpost to and they do that now to us regularly you know we get a lot of referrals through Mersicare but there's a nice almost like a step in I don't like saying step in town but a, a nice process for them so that when they come to the end of the time with Mersicare or you know they've been and sat in A&E for, for nine hours or whatever it is there's something to catch them afterwards yeah and we are that place now that will catch them people so they don't feel so on their own anymore and the professionals feel empowered as well and that like they've got a bit of a some tools in the tool bag that they can that they can use for people because I think you're right you know the professionals can only do what, what they can do the, the, everyone has limited resources yeah. But by knowing what's in the community and collaborating with them, this collaboration is so key. Um, we, you know, we can make such a difference. And I feel like these partnerships with the voluntary sector and the NHS is definitely going to be the way forward. Yeah, I think the, the, the I think the frustrating thing is that it shouldn't be up to people like 
you to approach to people who are like who have the the channels and the processes and have been doing all the stuff shouldn't be up to you to say to them look this is needed it, it's like yeah. it's reverse you know it's the people that are that have the power and the money and the influence and yeah. all that stuff they're the ones who should be saying like what's yeah. what's out there and what can we do about i just it? think sadly until it affects you something like this you don't realize the impact that it has to people's yeah. lives and I, I always, you know, I, my brother was only 14 months older than me. We were like twins. So his whole life I've been by his side. But had I not have known Sean, would I have been a bit blind to it? I, 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 I potentially would have been because, I, you know, I didn't have anyone close to me that was impacted by this. Before I lost Sean, I'd never lost somebody to suicide. I'd never had that feeling that I have now. It completely changed my life, losing Sean. Like, completely changed me as a person and everything. And I think you really do need to, I feel, to be impacted by this to really, for it to hit home mm. why this is needed. And I think because of the people who do make decisions, unless this is something close to their heart, they don't genuinely know or feel how bad things are for people, um, which is why we need to be going to them because they need to hear the stories, the heartbreak and the challenges that people are facing, not just to sit around the table making decisions without having spoken to anybody who's been impacted by this yeah it's a it's a different level of um compassion that you Mm. get through um you know like either side of the experience either going through it or being like affected by watching someone go through it um it's a different level of like compassion you Mm. know i always feel like i give a shit now about stuff that i don't outside of the mental health space as well you know there's like all sorts of stuff that i'd have been like that don't affect me nothing to do Mm. with me you know it's like it's changed it changes how you see the world and the people in it it really is um it's a strange it's a strange thing like it's hard to describe how it um you know it's like a light comes on and suddenly everything looks fucking different you know and you kind of want to be involved in that difference and doing something to to you know to try and explain that to other people and yeah i think it's an understanding of other people's struggles like you know what as we said before what might be impacting you won't be impacting me but that doesn't mean that they're living the life of riley it's just that they've got different things going on for them and you know you've, you've got that deeper understanding of people's lives a little bit and like i found that i assess people's behaviors a lot more now i don't just think oh she's a moody cow like i'm like why is she a moody cow yeah. you know is she okay i better go and check on her <laughs> i'm probably a saint at this point like i care about everyone and everything but it does give you that deeper level of, of understanding of people's behaviors and thought processes rather than just writing them off like i probably used to to be fair yeah i would have been exactly the same yeah. exactly the same and like yeah i do i do that too where you know if people are angry or behaving in a certain way i always think like what what's What's driving that, you know? And I look back at my behavior before I was poorly for a long time before I knew I was poorly. Mm. And I kind of look at the way I acted and interacted with the world. And there was a lot of anger there and a lot of, um, you know, not much patience for other people and, you know, a lot of lashing out and things like that. And now I see that in other people, Mm -hmm. you know, and you kind of think like there's something driving that behavior. And you, I don't know. Sometimes it's like you almost worry too much. It's like I could really like, you know, you you just start worrying on people's behalf. And my wife always <laughs> says to me, she says, listen, you don't even know that person. You don't even know if you need to worry. They might be okay, you know, like yeah. pack it in. But it's uh, once you open that 
like empathy box it's hard yeah. isn't it but well, like... we do we talk about that in the suicide prevention training that we offer here you know we'll give examples of things that people might say and you know how they might look and you know a lot of them say well that's stuff I say every day you know like oh I'm sick of you know I'm sick of everything what's the point and you know that's everyday language but so we, we do say to them you know not everyone will be considering suicide who says that do not worry <laughs> like you don't have to like go to every single person who comes out with these phrases and ask them that question it's that whole picture but I think you, you're right you know somebody might not not look like they're doing great but actually they are doing fine but there's no harm in checking in with them and you know just oh just notice this about you today just checking you know okay and stuff yeah if you want to have a brew you know where they are you know that sort of thing yeah I, I spoke to a guy called gabriel nathan once and he's an american suicide awareness advocate mm. um he's a wonderful wonderful man and um and he said something along those lines he said i would rather like annoy you by asking you i'd rather be embarrassed because i asked you something and you were like no dude you got this wrong he said i'd yeah. rather do that than be sad because something happens you yeah. know and that really got me thinking it's like sometimes we worry so much about starting the conversation because how it will make us feel mm. like do you know do you know what i mean yeah. when sometimes it's like do you know what maybe if i ask if you're okay and you are actually okay maybe i'll feel a little daft yeah. but it's better to feel daft than it is to feel sad you know? yeah absolutely yeah very much so when um when like after Sean passed, Debbie, and you must have been like really in the midst of that grieving process. How did the idea for Sean's Place start to come through that? You know, like mm-hmm. I always think with charities, what it's really, really easy to do is to, for, for someone, you know, we say, you know, you've had this horrible experience, now we start this amazing charity. Um, but to get charity off the ground is so fucking hard work. <laughs> and I'd like, I always, that, that process, that middle bit fascinates me because there's one thing saying, I have an idea and I know it'll work. Mm. Now I've got to turn that idea into a reality. What were your, when that idea kind of came from, I want to do something. How did you turn that idea into, what were your first steps to kind of get this place rolling? Yeah, I think it was really hard because within the days after Sean died, there was an investigation in the hospital, but also there was an inquest as well. Um, and I was at the time fighting for an Article 2 inquest, which is you know much broader and there's a lot of people involved in it. I had to become a barrister basically overnight. So, and I have three children who were also grieving at the time. So it was incredible, just the most awful, awful time. Um, that, that you could ever imagine for, for, for anyone to, you know you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy really so I, I think I, I needed a distraction but I didn't know that I was going to create one um, and I always always knew that Sean's something like Sean's place you know that it would have saved his life I knew his death was preventable I knew that the right people weren't listening to me so what else could I have done and I knew that if he'd had something like Sean's place earlier on in his journey, when you know it was mild to moderate anxiety, depression before the psychosis, or even when the psychosis came, you know, he needed a positive distraction in his life, but there wasn't anything. So I thought, well, if the professionals aren't going to listen to me, you know, I've got my family falling apart. I'm contact getting contacted by people think when you've lost someone to suicide that you know everyone want, you, you want to talk about suicide all the time so I was getting all these messages from people saying oh you know my brother tried to take his life two days ago and my uncle's you know the, in the same boat and you know it, it, all these really horrendous tales of people who were also going through um, you know trouble trying to find help for the partners and the loved ones so I thought well Sean wasn't alone all these people are also going through it something needs to be done about it and I think when when you go through grief you tend to care less about what people think and 
you you'll, you won't take no for an answer you get this really like stubbornness about you um and when i started to build sean's place up even just when the idea was there i started putting the feelers out there okay well where do i begin who do i need to speak to who's doing th- things already what doors do i need to knock down and you know who the hell's gonna help me basically <laughs> yeah. so i did go to a couple of places who did want to shut the door straight away it won't work stop and reinvent the wheel you know men don't talk men won't come places like that you're stupid it's not gonna uh, these were genuine comments that people made had sean not have died and i was doing this you know a year earlier i probably would have give up because there was that many barriers and people who didn't want to support the, the idea that i thought what's the point but Sean had just died. I was the angriest person alive and I needed to channel that for good before it destroyed my mental health. So I didn't take no for an answer and I was knocking on more doors and more doors and more doors. And then I went to them, like the CCG, it's called the um, the ICB now. So the CCG had this board meeting this one time and they invited members of the public to go and talk about you know, things that would impact on them in the community. So I sat in this corridor with this one little old guy. He was, you know, complaining about waiting times for this hip replacement. And I had my little notepad full of ideas. And I thought, jeez, what am I doing here? They're going to laugh me out the room. So it was my turn to go in. And I spoke to this board of doctors and, you know, clinicians and healthcare professionals. And um, I just said, look, I've got this idea. I want to... Um, build a mental health space for men to prevent men from dying by suicide i've just lost my brother four weeks ago i haven't got a clue what i'm doing i just need to know if this is something that you'll support or if it's something that you also think is needed in the community um and there were some amazing doctors on there they a couple of them are quite emotional as was i and they said yeah absolutely We, we we need this we and we believe in you and this one lady took me aside afterwards into this room and I'll never ever forget her I still speak to her now and she said look I believe in you anything you need I'm here for you and I've not needed to go back to her for any support as such but just that one comment was like if she believes in me I'm going to do her and then we did Um, and we were very lucky we like the lady who's delivering our mindfulness class right now (laughs) she's the one who offered us the space in her dance studio to pilot her uh, my best friend Mandy, she came on board and it was just the two of us initially and we were running things like coffee mornings and art classes and, you know, just anything we could do to engage people and get their feedback. Um, that's where we started and that was just six weeks after Sean died. Wow. We didn't have Sean's inquest until last year, actually. Um, so we had all of that going on behind the scenes. You know, I had three kids that I was trying to get through their grief as well. Um, obviously, we had Sean's funeral amongst all of that. Um, but you just had to keep pushing through and not take no for an answer and believe that this would work and it did um, and it, it is doing and it it's working every now. single day you know and when you, you mentioned like the, like the numbers and it just shows how vital it is doesn't it it just shows yeah. how fucking important it yeah. is yeah when you were in the dance studio what did that what did that look like was that like um you know, was that like a coffee morning or a, what was what was the setup yeah, there? Yeah, we put like a survey monkey out on um, social media and said to, you know, the guys through social media, we're thinking about opening this this place um, to, to support men. What kind of things would interest you? What kind of things would you 
come to basically and we give them a couple of options of things that we we could do because obviously you can't just do everything yeah, but yeah. i knew i had like a wonderful lady that was going to help us with our classes i knew we could put on a coffee morning we had a hypnotherapist that was going to donate his time to us and we had someone who was going to run mindfulness classes for free so we had amazing volunteers so we said well these are the things that we can do out of these what things would you come to so from that we built like a bit of a loose timetable for three months and we piloted it over two days every month from september october and november and then the guys came to the sessions they did a mindfulness class we did a coffee morning for example coffee evening on a sunday night because it was always important to me that we opened up a night as well and we did one on tuesday afternoon tuesday evening and then from from the pilot data we looked at what was working and what was important to people and then we launched in january 2020 um, so it was only again six months after Shauna passed away and that's when we opened properly then we had a full-time table across like three days a week I was still working in my day job bed in mind wow. then so I was doing oh. this around my school job so I can say this now because I don't work there and my boss actually refers people to as my old boss but I used to have to tell work that my son was sick so I could go to a meeting <laughs> about Sean's place and you know I was just constantly trying to put out fires and make this happen and um, in the January when we opened I think like I said initially we had about three or four men who come sometimes some days we had no one but we just had to stick, it, stick to it and believe that it was going to work and it did and by by the March, just before COVID happened, we were seeing around 50 to 70 men a week, um, just in our very, very small offer. So we knew it was work, but then the world closed down for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but we carried on drawing COVID. We just had to be really creative about how we did that. And then when we reopened a couple of months later, we'd seen our referrals increase and we knew that we needed a bigger space and we needed to improve our offer because we weren't we, we weren't capturing everybody. There were some people who didn't want the social stuff and they needed more therapies. So we started to take on student counsellors, for example. Um, and then we had our very first student counsellor. He was the most incredible student you could ask for. And he was like so like a star that we just didn't want to let him go. And we got some funding through just before he was due to leave. And um, he's now our therapy coordinator wow. and um, permanent member of the team. He's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I th- all the stars definitely aligned when they needed to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's an incredible thing. How, how do you, um, with all that like, when I was like, if mental health is like the focus of your, your day, how do you look after your own? Because you hear a lot and, yeah. you know, there's a lot of hard conversations and a lot of important ones, but hard nonetheless, right? So how do you, how do you, I mean, if you do at all, but do you take a step back and, you know, separate yourself from it at all? Or how, um, how do you balance it? <laughs> I don't think I ever fully switch off from it, but um, there's a couple of things that I've done that I've learned. That, that will definitely help and one of them is having mentors you know having people who will be a listening ear for you you know who understand the challenges of running an organization like this you know we've had Lee Pennington you know John Muspratt, Dawn um, you know there's been amazing people that have really had my back through doing this and without them I don't think I'd be sane at the moment I probably need some sort of support myself I think without having those people in my corner um and then also I've got three amazing children and a wonderful husband as well so you know every weekend this weekend I'm cheerleading in Birmingham with my daughter <laughs> last week weekend was in London dancing with my son so you know I do have downtime with my kids and that just grounds you a little bit and you know corrects you a little bit before you come back into work and 
you know you go again then but also having a fantastic team as well like it, it is really difficult what we do here some days are harder than others we hear some incredibly sad stories mm. and it really really does get you get your heart sometimes but we also have a lot of fun you know the team are amazing we have a lot of laughs here as well we have a lot of laughs with the guys i think the nice thing about sean's place it's not all doom and gloom you know some people come in they're going through really horrendous times and that you know for, for them their journey will be really unique to them but then we've got other guys who will come here and you know there's a lot of laughter there's a lot of friendships a lot of fun and it's having that balance as well really helps yeah people forget that about like mental health support is that you know there is a lot of laughter there and in sadness there can be a lot of laughter and yeah. you know there's it's like you know that probably that's probably another barrier is people think oh it's going to be really heavy and i'm good yeah. but it's that's it's very rarely the case i quite often found on this on this podcast chatting to people about some like awfully heartbreaking things in amongst a lot yeah. of you know a lot of laughter and a lot of things as well you know it's the... yeah exactly we've got a quote in um in our well-being room and it says life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass it's about learning to dance in the rain and i think when you know that you're not alone anymore and you know that there's other people out there who are going through similar stuff but you can get through it together you're not you know you, you don't have to do this on your own anymore it just makes everything so much easier for people yeah tools in the toolbox right yeah, absolutely. When, you, when this when this stuff starts happening you don't have any and yeah. then, you know, then over time with different things and help of places like this, then eventually you kind of get that toolbox and then you, you're much more resilient when you need to be, right? Yeah. Like the, the true meaning of resilience, not this whole fucking, you know, yes. like the bullshit. it's a tricky one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's a funny, funny word. Yeah, I always yeah. feel the need to caveat <laughs> that, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, mate, I'm going to start bringing this home because I'm conscious of how much time of, of your time I'm taking up. But um, have you, is there anything like, anything coming up? Anything, uh, it, you mentioned the sort of the campaign, there's a lot of things going out for that. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on at the moment. We've so obviously we've got the new campaign around um finding support across Sefton, which is really exciting. There'll be a Radio City advertisement for that as well. So you will hear my voice through the radio <laughs> over the next couple of months if you live in Sefton. Um but also we've got things like there's a new movie coming out called Bowling Shoes about the singer Mark Bowling. Oh, okay. Um they're having their world premiere in Liverpool and we're their charity of choice for that, wow. which is amazing. So if anyone That's does sick. attend the premiere <laughs> I don't know if, I, if we'll be invited um, but at the end of the premiere you'll also see a promo video of, of Sean's place and all the proceeds from the premiere are going to come to us um, and we've just had some amazing funding from the Steve Morgan Foundation as well which has you know really helped us to increase our capacity and you know deliver more support this year really so yeah lots of good things going on um, loads of exciting things for the guys as well we've got new pro projects and new programs coming up the sun's coming out so we can use our garden yeah. and you know we can do more outdoors activities and stuff with them um but i think it, ultimately we just want people to know that we're here and that they don't have to struggle anymore you know on their own kind of thing if they've, if they've listened to the podcast and thought that sounds like the place for me just get in touch like you'll be put in touch with the most loveliest people who will make you feel so welcome yeah yeah very much so i'll make sure to order all the links, all the everything is in the episode notes for people to, to you know, to find it if need be and yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And oh, mate, thank you so much for today. It's oh, like, thank you. <laughs> you're so lovely to come over and, and to meet you. And um, yeah, man, it's so sick here. Like I'm blown away <laughs> by it. I feel really, um, really inspired. Yeah, you really got me thinking. So, but yeah, thank you for your time today. It's what it's worth. Thank you.
to big up to the proper mental podcast. <laughs> the proper mental podcast. <laughs>